return to the tales of osteopathy students with me, Chelsea, and my good friend, Bee. Switching it up, hey? Adding a couple more bars in. Why not? I am pumped. I'm excited. I'm full of beans. I'm full of beans and tea. <laughs> yes, what kind of tea? Talk to me about your tea. Uh, I've gone really, really fancy today and gone oh. no more tea. No more Yorkshire tea. Goodness gracious. Exquisite. Yeah. And there's a couple of chunks of digestive biscuit at the bottom just to mix things up. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm a terrible biscuit dunker. No skills. Oh, I love that. Whatsoever. Always leave it in for too long. Did you say digestive? Yeah. That's like the flakiest type of biscuit to dip in a tea. I know, but it's the the one true pairing of tea and biscuit. Is it? Do you not think? I feel like they were created solely for dunking. You wouldn't eat one on its own. Yeah. You use it for, well, I guess sometimes you use it with cheese, right? Digestives. Not me. They're very sweet. Mm. Anyways. Yeah, but that's that's the beauty though, isn't it? Yeah. The, the sweetness of the biscuit and the saltiness of the cheese. I'm not a cheese gal. Cheese makes me sick. <laughs> I love cheese, but cheese does not love me. Not in any way. Not in any way. And it still makes me sad. Okay. Mm. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I'm good. Are we slightly like happy, delirious because we mm. are doing mm. this backwards and we have got a very exciting interview for you today that we have actually just finished. So, We've just gone back to the beginning. So we're yeah. full of beans and want to chit chat about all the fun things. We've wanted to ask them for ages to come on the podcast, mm. but got the nerves, didn't we, V? We got the nerves. We did. And uh, didn't ask for a long time, but then we decided, like, do you know what? Now's the time. Now's the time. Now. So today we've got an absolutely incredible interview for you with the wonderful, the unicorn, I think she refers to herself <laughs> the at unicorn. one point we said. The wonderful Yinka Fabu Sui today. Woo, woo, woo. As if some of you know, some of you may not know, she was our um, tutor at UCO in the first and second year for communications. She's also, no, it's not a clinic tutor anymore, was it? A mm. senior practice educator? Is that it? And also a yoga teacher. So obviously for me, I'm just like, tell me other yoga things. I've definitely done it before. There was once we had a class with her and it was just myself and fellow student grace who is also a yoga teacher so we just the three of us on the course just like grace and i just use the opportunity to say tell us about yoga and osteopathy inca tell us <laughs> share your wisdom she hasn't half got a lot of experience as well she Ooh, went to uco when it was bso and graduated mm. from there and then she's been an osteopath both in the nhs and with her own practice, um, which I think is called Homewood Osteopathy Practice, mm. and mm. is also a yoga teacher and a teacher at uni too. So just just a whole lot of wisdom to share. 
Yeah, indeed. And you're about to hear it now. So we're not we're not going to knock about anymore, yeah. are we, V? Because we normally go off on many a tangent. Oh, um, dear, dear listener, you would, you'd love to know the amount of <laughs> shit I cut out that we chat about. Like, I once cut out eight minutes of us talking about bees. Yeah, that happens. Bees are the best thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's not straight down that tangent, V. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let us begin. Great. So, but you're still a clinic tutor with us at the UCO, aren't you? So, well, technically, I'm a senior, <laughs> pra- senior practice educator, my dear. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So there's a little, been a little bit of reframing of of uh, of uh, job titles. So we now um, are calling clinic tutors practice educators. Okay. And we have senior practice educators who were formerly known as, uh, what were they formerly known as? Uh, team leaders, I think. Okay. And oh, yeah. so I, yeah, so I am a senior practice educator, which makes me sound like I'm in my dotage. Um, so I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does sound like you should have like a monocle or something like that oh my god yeah. that would be quite cool actually to come just to come in with a monocle <laughs> or a pan snare and just yeah that would be funny actually yes I could have done that if I was still teaching you that would have been well it would have amused me probably no one else but it would have amused me oh I think I would have loved it I would have <laughs> absolutely it would have been a trendsetting move wouldn't it <laughs> so we've yeah. got clinic this summer coming up actually which is it it feels sort of more like our first experience with clinic because we've only had two days before this in first year. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how are you so feeling? Are you ready? No. <laughs> no. Well, I'm one never experiences. is. Mm. Well, one never is. Well, a lot of it initially is observing. You're 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 observing your and then your observation becomes uh, more, uh, how can I put it, participatory. You start to add little bits in. And actually, as you're observing, you re- you're hopefully, and I think this is mainly the case, you realise how much you know. And sometimes you realise you possibly know more because you'll be bringing a bit like those um, those vignettes, those patients from com skills that I used, you're bringing in life experience as well. Mm-hmm. And you're using an opportunity whilst observing to build a, an appropriate rapport with the patient. And, and that sort of hopefully, because uh, I'd like to think the clinic environment is a very positive, supportive, supporting environment. At least it, it is on my watch or we try to make it. An opportunity for that to just flow into starting to, to take the lead. And of course, I'm very much hoping you've got fantastic case history uh, taking into communication skills. And that's the beginning of it. And then you're just bringing in the knowledge that you have. And so it should be a gradual, I'm not saying it's seamless, you might see the joins, but it should be, (laughs) um, you know, see the joins with good stitching. Um, it should be, you know, a gradual flow, but but it is perfectly natural to be um, terrified and yeah. and anxious and nervous. That's all normal stuff. Yeah. 
Um, have you been a clinic practice educator for quite some time? Because you must have seen quite a lot of changes with UCO. When I came to UCO as an educator, which actually wasn't that long ago, I think I started at UCO as an educator in 2015, which wasn't that long ago. So there are people who have been doing it for far longer than I have. When I came in, I thought in my head, well, I am an old bird in a new game. So I've been knocking around, <laughs> knocking around as an osteopath for a little while now. And I sometimes say to students, yes, but if I tell you, and I'll have to deal away with you because I can't be telling these things. Of course, it's a matter of um, public record. You could just look on the geoscreen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I came in in 2015. So not that long ago, but because I had a lot of osteopathic uh, clinical experience and a lot of those those patients, those people I brought into comms are from life and were for my 18-year experience of working in the NHS as an osteopath. Mm. Yeah, that was a bit of a rambling way of saying I've been an educator at UCO, sorry, uh, since 2015, I think. I'm really excited to ask you and hear more about your time in the NHS because you definitely kind of told us a little bit about it within some of our comms lessons. But um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to hear more about it. How did that all happen? Well, I um, so where I practice and live, there were what we are now calling we I think in in the community uh, are taking it back and saying there were uprisings. I know that other words, other five-letter words have been used to describe these happenings, but I would say they were uprisings, they were yeah. social uprisings. And off the back of that, we don't want to get too political, let's just say that wider than the community came to realise that perhaps there were some issues that needed addressing. And one of the many uh, areas that, that got looked into was health and healthcare and looking at the community there there were lots of course lots of social inequality which we're still working with but the the main premise was that a lot of money was being spent on secondary care and actually if if perhaps we could do more in primary care look after people's health and needs better in primary care then perhaps that would reduce the burden in of, on secondary care. So um, a report was commissioned, and um, I'm just trying to think, so many reports were commissioned around that time. It might have been the Starman report, okay. and there was a King's Fund report. I think somebody will correct me on that. I'm sure I'm getting it wrong in, in this moment. But one of the recommendations was that more money should be spent in primary care, and this pot of money, this was the early 90s, was, was set aside for GPs practices to apply for funding for things that they thought their uh, practice needed. Uh-huh. And a friend of mine, he is now a friend, he was more of an acquaintance at the time, who was a GP, he and his, his wife were GPs in the locality. They decided that what was needed was some of that middle class stuff that their patients didn't have access to. And one of those things was osteopathy. And they decided they could have some osteopathy. 
some shiatsu if you don't mind, acupuncture, some yoga therapy, yes, yoga therapy, uh, (laughs) counselling, welfare rights advice. Mm. And so they applied for those things. And because you know how life goes, this uh, GP's wife, life partner, brother, was a friend of my partner's, <laughs> something like that, one of those situations. <laughs> um, they, oh, we know some osteopaths, we know an osteopath. So they applied for funding for full-time osteopathy, almost with a chuckle, <laughs> oh, we'll never get a full-time osteopath, you know, we'll never get funding yeah. for that. But, you know, if by the time they boil it down, we might get a few hours. And lo, yeah. they got funding for, for a full-time osteopath. Oh, wow, so then, time. Yeah, for a full-time, for 37 and a half hours of, of osteopathy a week. And that was offered to my partner, who couldn't do full-time. And he said, well, I know another osteopath who might be interested. And so I came in, I think, at three days a week. That was how we shook it down, three days and two days between mm-hmm. us. And that is how I started in the NHS. So we went on to, uh, into a practice, which at the time was on a housing estate. The practice was actually mm-hmm. on the housing estate. Um, and they were a purpose-built, sorry, a purpose-built practice built mm. Gosh, that's a lot of bees um <laughs> and peas um and so we moved into this at the time really quite state-of-the-art very modern very you know it had parking it had a green space it had uh, a lot of treatment rooms it was on two floors it had a big waiting room it wow. had lots of light and that's where I sort of cut my teeth really so I think when I started there three years post-grad Okay. Really wow. steep oh, wow. learning curve, really steep yeah. learning curve. And um, I stayed for 18 years. So Amazing. that is how I got into the NHS. I worked in uh, primary health care in a GP's practice uh, in London, in kind of embedded in London for 18 years. So, yeah, I did that. I think I'm getting my years right. I think I did that from... 94 until 2012. Wow. That must have been a very intense experience to go in with like a, a whole new, like brand spanking new practice that yeah. purpose built and a lot of, but almost quite a lot of expectations when it's something that state of the art mm-hmm. and there hadn't been like an osteopath in yeah. the GP before. That's a lot no, to go into. It- it, it, but you know, I was young, duh. <laughs> and I, I sort of, I don't think I really knew what I was getting into. What I did know is that I bit their arm off to do it. I, I, you know, yes, now I am purely private practice, but it, at my core, I am, yes, I think it should be free at point of access. <laughs> <laughs> in an ideal world which we yeah. do not live in and so yeah I, I bit the hand off to do it I don't think I thought beyond that I just thought yes yeah. and of course when we went to talk to them about how it was going to shake down of course it was also fantastic to think 
well, I'm going to get paid per hour. And that's mm. going to be regardless of whether the patient turns up. So that income, it's really nice to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking back, there were some slight disadvantages, which we may or may not come on to, but I, I really, really welcome the opportunity. I didn't really, I knew that I wasn't particularly well experienced. I knew it was... Uh, even then, I knew it was something special and something different and something unusual. Um, and I have to thank, because this should be noticed, a not, a noted, an osteopath who I think is retired now called Fiona Walsh, who was a practice educator, a clinic tutor at UCO at the time, who taught me, mm. who had, she had an association with the primary care group or whatever they were called then, they kept changing their name. And she kind of got our foot in the door and she made the initial representations and said, well, look, you know, I realise you can't pay us what we're doing privately, but we can't go below this amount. And she yeah. had a lot of credibility and a lot of respect. And I think that was partly why we got our um, foot beat in the door. So hail Fiona Walsh. Um, thank you so I have to say it was also a terrifying clinic educator who scared the living daylights out of me as a student so I really do know how it feels to be (laughs) anxious um, about going in so yeah that that, that was kind of how we got our feet in the door and a few other uh, local practices then took the lead and also had a similar model Oh, great. So there were more that were set up in the area from that? There are a few more that were set up in the area. I think South London did quite well. Amazing. (laughs) Are there many um, osteopaths who do work directly in GPs clinics nowadays? Well, I'm a bit, I'm afraid I've sort of, uh, I'm a bit out of pitch now. I I don't know is the true answer to that. I, I think what's happened is there are there are different models so i know of or knew of several osteopaths who had an arrangement with gps where they rented the room privately Mm. i know of models where there was just that i know of models where there was a little bit of subsidy from the gps i don't think Mm. nowadays but i'm talking in the 90s and early noughties there were models where similar to ours or or the same as ours. I think now the model is that now we're allied healthcare practitioners, AHPs, and so we're under the same umbrella as, say, occupational therapists, physiotherapists. Mm. And I think the model is now called first response or first responder. I'm probably getting that wrong, where you are able to bid for or have contracts with um, or get jobs under the NHS. So you're kind of going in under the same model that physiotherapy would. Um, I'm afraid that since I left the NHS, I kind of have taken, how awful of me, I've taken a sort of been there, done that. It's, it, you know, when I first left, I, I found it quite painful because I left because funding ran out and um, uh-huh. they kind of said, oh, oh, you're still working here as Ostipas. Oh, how much are we paying you? Oh, we don't know if we can still do that. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, we've got physiotherapy, haven't we? Oh, yes, the 
you know, oh. the, 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 the reforms, the NHS reforms, sort of, you know, I understand that they looked at funding and how much was in the pot for MSK care and thought, oh, but physiotherapy could deliver that. And to be fair to them and that model, whoever they are, those unknown people out there, <laughs> we could have applied for jobs under that banner, but I didn't want to do that, actually, because I'd had such, I mean, we had a totally free hand. We were completely autonomous. We didn't have to, they just let us get on with it. We we managed our waiting list. We managed how many times we saw patients. We didn't have to do paperwork to justify being able to, to have continued funding. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I said there were downsides. Downside number one is that I think we were so immersed in it, we didn't audit it, we didn't survey it, so we can't prove it. <laughs> um, there was some research. There was some research that went on. Um, no part of uh, a research person. So there was some, but looking back, we could have done a lot more, but we didn't, and so that didn't help matters but to be honest I'm not sure that would have made the, the biggest difference because it came down to how much is this costing physiotherapy could deliver it uh, for less in a different setting I didn't want to go and work behind a curtain I didn't want to work in that way because I had been spoiled because I'd effectively been able to work as I now do privately in the NHS yeah yeah I wonder how many people can say that as well. Not many, yeah. I imagine. There are a few. I could probably tell you who they are. <laughs> there are <a> few. <laughs> nice. But what an incredible experience, though. You must have seen so many different things and different people compared to what we would normally expect a typical osteopathic patient to be. Absolutely. And you met some of them in comms. Oh, nice. <laughs> Through yourself, portraying. <laughs> yes, I channeled, channeled some of them. Yeah, I did. I mean, I feel so privileged to have met the people that I did. You know, you read that there are various levels of privilege, and it definitely made me realise how much privilege I had, and it taught me not to judge people. It taught me to understand that, some people's lives are very chaotic. If they can get to an osteopathy appointment, okay, they're 10 minutes late, but they've come. Mm. And they haven't turned up for all the GP appointments. We had very low uh, non-attendance rates, actually, compared okay. to other practitioners in the practice that we did survey. I met all sorts of people. You know, people I probably would not have seen in private practice you know people who'd literally been released from prison the week before Te barely teenage children were young offenders and were in prison people who had who really had very little people who had mental health issues and various other comorbidities people who came um telling me oh you know on the way here, I really had some quite severe chest pain. And my, my friend said, I probably ought to mention to you this. And I thought, oh, my God, you're having a heart attack. Oh, oh, I probably should get a GP to look at you. Oh, OK. <laughs> no, I don't think I'll be seeing you about your low back pain today. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> there, there's lots of stuff, lots of stuff mm. that 
that that gives you that frankly I bring into clinic, bring into communication field, field bring into to, to educating the next generation of, of osteopaths coming through. It will all be fantastic to hope. Um, and possible. it was amazing. It was amazing. Amazing. That's super exciting. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, you should be exciting. It's excited. It's uh, it's a changing, frightening, amazing, exciting world out there to mm. be embraced and to be learned from. You know, we'll. Uh, I, you know, I learned from. I learned a lot. I think I learned as much as I gave. Hopefully, uh, uh, in the NHS. Nice. Amazing. And um, one thing from a very selfish perspective that I wanted to ask you about was your yoga teaching. Um, because um, I remember on, um, on our, on the first class we ever had with you in first year. And I remember you coming in, you were talking about how you were a yoga teacher and osteopath. And I was like, oh, she's my idol. That's what I want to be when I grow up. So, um, she's I'd love like to... a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> cause, um, cause I remember you mentioning that you trained as a yoga teacher after you became an, an osteopath, right? And I've kind of done it the other way around. I was a yoga teacher first and now training yeah. to, to be an osteopath. But, um, mm. um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about your story with, with yoga. Gosh, this is just an opportunity for me to yarn away, isn't it? Um, That's the beauty of it, yeah. So I, um, this is uh, an oft-told tale, so you may have heard it before, but I had really been involved in athletics, not anything major, but, you know, I'd, I'd done a bit of hurdling, a bit of long jump, and, and second leg in the 4x100 relay, in case you want to know. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm, I've never done any, no, any yoga, and to be honest, I thought they were all a bit odd. <laughs> and um, I, a friend of mine said, look, there's this yoga teacher in Brixton. We've got to go. We've got to support her. And I was like, what's that what to do with me? I don't do yoga. I don't, what, what's the deal? And I know we've got to go. We've got to go. She's black. We've got to go support her because black yoga teachers possibly now and certainly I'm talking circa... 90, hold on, let me get this right, 93, 1993, really were like unicorns. Yeah. So she said, we have to go and support her, and I want to do yoga. And I literally, well, I think I sucked my teeth and thought, oh, God, I'll go. I'm not doing it. I'll just go <laughs> with my friend. So we got there, church hall, uh, standard, yeah. And I think I said to the teacher, look, I've just come with her. I'm not doing the yoga. I'm just going to sit in the back and watch. And uh, then when you finish, we're going to go for a meal. <laughs> the teacher, who is now a friend, said, no, don't really have kind of observers. So I, I respectfully invite you to join us or to come back when we finish. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, damn. And I don't think I even had any gear. But I generally, you know, quite quite slouchy and comfortable. So I sort of reluctantly, oh my god, and you have to take your shoes off as well. Oh my god. Anyway, so I and they lent me a mat and I, I did the yoga and I I can't say I found it comfortable. I couldn't do most of the postures. I was as stiff as a board. 
And I loved it. And then I got quite, you know, sort of, why don't I know about this? Where has this been hiding? You know, and 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 actually, while I was at youth um, then, called the School of Osteopathy, I did know a few people who did yoga, and I thought they were a bit odd. And so I came away from this class thinking, what was that? What happened? What just happened to me? What I don't understand. And it was as much about how my head felt mm. as my body felt. And so I started going weekly. My friend, I think week three, decided she didn't like it. She dropped out. And I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. And kind of the rest is history. Uh, and well, it's not history because I'm told you. Um, so I then thought, I think I went to one yoga retreat where I got a bit more immersed. I, I, as is my want, I sort of bought some books. I started reading. I started learning about this whole philosophy. And I thought, this is amazing. And then I thought, this would really help my patients. But then if somebody came along and said, I'll just do a bit of osteopathy, I'd be a bit pissed off. <laughs> so I thought, I better learn this stuff properly. So I asked my yoga teacher, you know, where does one do this? How can I learn this? And she was great, actually. She, she suggested a few courses. And the one I picked was the British Wheel of Yoga because it suited my timetable. And so by the time I started my yoga teacher training, I think I had a one-year-old. By the time I finished my yoga teacher training, I think I had three children under five. and I uh, I yes I did the yoga teacher training there might be a theme coming here I started the yoga teacher training with no intention whatsoever of teaching yoga just wanted the knowledge wanted the background wanted to be able to almost use it prescriptively so when the teacher said oh no you'll have to do you'll have to teach as part of the course I was a bit hacked off and I thought, oh God. Um, so I, I, I started off uh, with the help of a, a friend of mine who was a primary school deputy head teacher. And she said, I'll oh, come and teach at my school. Come and teach the teachers. They, oh. they like it. And if they don't like it, tough. You could practice on them. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I just wanted to say it was optional whether they came. They weren't made to come or anything. And that is how I started teaching. And, of course, because. Clearly, I just talk rubbish a lot. I loved it, and that is how I became a. <laughs> that is how I became a yoga teacher. Amazing! What kind of um, yoga do you teach? I always That's struggle big to question, answer isn't this it, question. I do struggle to answer it. I essentially teach hatha yoga, hmm. and I would say I teach inclusive, fun. Hatha yoga. Nice. So I don't teach any particular tradition. Mm. I don't, it's definitely not uh, vinyasa flow, and it certainly is nashtanga. It has a lot of seasoning of restorative yoga to it. Yeah. And a smattering of mm, yin yoga, maybe. 
course, the, the yin yoga and restorative yoga purists will be grinding their teeth. But, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but, I, but I, I don't have a restorative yoga, pure restorative yoga teacher training or a yin yoga teacher training. So I just want to state that for the purists in case they're grinding their teeth. But I do have a lot of experience and I, I really enjoy that style of yoga. And it's always been the direction that I've gone in. Because one of the things I didn't mention in this 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 yarn <laughs> that I'm schooling is that one of the reasons I was so uh, I I was so ignorant about yoga how I misunderstood is I thought you needed to be flexible mm. and once I started teaching and and getting immersed I realised that actually that that is incorrect but it is something that lots of people still think and yeah. I am about as far from flexible for the flexible yoga teachers as you see as it is possible to be. I have, uh, in fact, I wrote a blog about this not long ago. I have connected tissue restrictions. I My limbs are disproportionately long. I'm not complaining. I'm just <laughs> saying. Um, and so my body proportions mean that, that some postures are quite difficult for me, plus I've got restriction mm. in my joints and my connective tissues. Mm. So I just thought, well, how can I, how can I be a yoga teacher? And, I, uh, and to be honest, I think it's only in recent years that I've got rid of the devil on my shoulder that's whispering in my ear, what do you think you're doing, Yinka? You're not flexible. <laughs> you're not sexy what do you think you're doing and I now you know punch that devil in the face but <laughs> I uh, and that's coming from somebody who's who's done yoga 20 something years mm. so when I talk about the style that I teach I really want to get across that it it, it really I'm not suggesting everyone can do it I'm not saying that I I I try but I don't I can't always make it but I, basically what I'm trying to say is and make it as um, inclusive as possible mm. and it's it's you're not going to sweat in my class yeah I really echo that sort of teaching as well um, because I'm the same as like, I've never been flexible but I think it's the most common thing people say to me when I'm like oh I'm a yoga teacher They're like oh I can't do yoga I'm not flexible it's like the most common thing mm. that people say all the time and um yeah, I'm, and I felt like, especially when I did my training, one of my teachers said to me, they're like, it's an advantage that you're not flexible because the most most people that are going to come to your classes are going to be the same as you. So you can understand yeah. the poses more from their perspective yeah. rather than just like, look how easy I can fold into it. Yeah, and, um, yeah. Yeah, and limb-wise, I'm the opposite to you. I've got teeny tiny arms and legs compared to my body. <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure the difficulties we have in poses are the, the mirror opposite of each other. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you train, Chelsea? I trained in 2019 and, and I went yeah. to India to do my training. Um, yeah. And it, it was part of the kind of whole, my sort of epiphany I sort of went on, as in I don't mm. want to work in music anymore because I'm just pure stress ball, like just yeah. constant, constant rage. And I kind of had this whole idea of about like, um you know, what about yoga therapy, essentially? Mm -hmm. And then my original plan was, oh, I'll train as a yoga teacher and then I can do that whilst originally I was going to do physiotherapy and then came mm -hmm. across osteopathy. It's the idea of having something flexible mm -hmm. that I could then integrate together. 
was um mm-hmm. sort of sort of the idea but then a pandemic happened and yoga teaching was a yeah. Really challenge. <laughs> yeah yeah did it happen yeah mm. yeah to be fair to you Charles I think the first term of first year you told me that you were a yoga teacher and I was like oh I'm not really interested in yoga because I'm not flexible it's not like a team sport or something that I compete <laughs> against somebody else in yeah. and it resolved mm. like it surrounds you being quiet but the classes that I've enjoyed most with you are the ones that I've been most quiet and Mm. more still as Mm. well Mm. because I very rarely have like those moments of extended silence in the old yeah 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 Yeah. that's that thing about changing what's in your head isn't it Mm. I I think it was do you know the teacher Judith Hanson Lassiter yeah yes I absolutely love her and I remember her saying oh exciting um she um, I remember her saying give something to people that no one gives themselves which is 20 minutes of being still and Mm -hmm. um and I was just like yeah you know what you're right like we never give this to ourselves ever and um so it's one thing I I love doing a long like restorative poses. I always kind of integrate yeah. them, just like a sneaky little yeah. five minute soup to Badakanasan or something. Yeah. It's always very nice. Well, it's not sneaky. It's yeah. good. Put it in there. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And Yoga Nidra is one of my favorites. Yes. Well, well. You, those practices, I was very lucky because I did. Um, it, it seems to me yoga is more, uh, com- oh, not compartmentalized, but it's, you know, you do have. Uh, you know, your restorative, your yin, your vinyasa flow. Ashtanga is not quite as popular as it used to be, but that's still there. And I was lucky to to be taught by and work with people from all those traditions, from sort of mm-hmm. restorative and, and yoga nidra. A very good friend of mine um, runs a yoga nidra course. And so was exposed to that even before I knew what those practices were called, all those mm-hmm those styles were yeah yeah I love it Yinka how do you feel um your like continued and developing learning through yoga has affected your osteopathy practice hmm that's a really good question I think it did change the way I worked with patients and I think before I even finished the course because I'd already (laughs) been forced into teaching yoga um I (laughs) I was using it. So I was using, uh, so from the Satchananda tradition, there is a, it's a sort of joint warm-up sequence called, um, what is it called? Pavamutsanasana, where you're yeah. sort of moving the joint sequentially. And I thought, God, that's just like joint articulation. So I started using that, you know, what if, uh, I started, you know, very osteopathically, I think, articulating someone's palate and then their ankle and I'm moving up that chain and I'm working towards their hip and the hip might be the seat of the problem, so to speak, but I'm, you know, and how about I then describe that as an exercise? How about you articulate these Mm. joints sequentially, you know, so many reps and you do it like this and how about you incorporate that with breath and when you feel restriction or discomfort, you kind of notice it, but you don't dwell on it. And you think, 
I'm just going to think about the movement and I'm going to think about exhaling with the, the whatever. And so, yeah, I started using it straight away. And at the same time, I was teaching. And, of course, it was it was a two-way flow. So one of the things that, that, that you're probably noticing, uh, Chelsea, is that so I already had the observation skills that we use for osteopathy, and I was able to bring them into the yoga class. So you notice, you notice, okay, I can see there's some restriction here, although scapulae are not sitting yeah. as well as they might, or I can see that there's some asymmetry here, or there's some rotation mm. through the pelvis. And I mean, I'm not the sort of osteopath who gets so excited about that. You know, I think, okay, good. Fine, you know, we're not going to label that and get too excited about that because we're all different. <laughs> but um, it does allow you to think, well, of course, you're going to find that particular asana posture uh, challenging. Why don't you try it like this instead? Or if you're hypermobile, whoa, 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 you need to pull back there. Yeah, yeah, you need yeah. to use those tricep muscles to stabilize <laughs> that elbow joint a little bit. So, yeah, it, was, it, it quickly became a two-way street. And then it became so I'm not, you know, sometimes I do have to be a bit careful. I, in fact, I'm far more likely... You know, now, because I'm hackneyed old hag, if somebody starts trying to ask me about their shoulder problem in a yoga class, I sort of sometimes my eyes glaze over and I think, mm, you're going to have to make an appointment. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it's more likely to be the other way round. But yeah, they, 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 I can't imagine being an osteopath who's not a yoga teacher and vice versa now. It's been so long. And I think I've been an osteopath for nearly 30 years and a yoga teacher for 21 years. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pala yeah. series one is one of my favorite things ever. Right. I love it. I right. do. Um, I do it with um, with kind of the people I teach online, like probably at least once a month we'll go through it just as a yeah. let's get everything yeah. moving um I love it it's good and, good practice mm, really good and it's one of those things that I've started to it's just learning about osteopathy as we've been going along it's really informed how I teach in a completely different way compared to how when I yeah. started and just thinking mm -hmm. about just like kind of just the all the different kind of asans and it's like okay so this is like this is flexion of the spine and this is extension you know just mm. even those sort of simple things and realizing like especially in terms of sequencing and kind of putting mm -hmm. you know putting classes mm -hmm. together and just how mm -hmm. it's like you can you can really make a difference and really make things change it's yeah it's it's really interesting you how can. the two are just like nestling together so yeah, and I've become possibly one of those uh, very irritated people who, if I look at anyone prescribing <laughs> the babies, I see people, you know, exercise prescription. I think, yeah, that's just badakonasana. Well, that's just yeah. chair pose. Well, that's just child pose. Well, that's just fist pose. Yeah, yeah. What's the big deal? Yeah, it's just those are people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes I am oversimplifying that but yeah it, 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 it it's, it's really exciting 
And it's, you know, the things that I wanted to do when I did that yoga teacher training, roll on quite a few years, I finally have got to do now and have got to love to talk about and run courses on. I, I do a, a, a UCO CPD course, almost prescriptive yoga, how um, yoga can inform person-centered care. How we can take, I'm not teaching people to be yoga teachers, but I, I can teach you what yoga is about, how it works, and how you can use that to mm. prescribe movement to your patients. And I, I'd call it movement, of course, movement and exercise. You know, they work together, but, you know, a sort of coherent, sequential movement to restore uh, function, to put it like that. And so, you know, I'm getting to do that. And, and it was one of the reasons why I stepped back from my comms teaching so that I could develop more of that and do more of that. Uh, it's for osteopaths. It's, it's kind of directed towards osteopaths, physiotherapists, chiropractors, uh, sports massage people, people who have knowledge of working with the body in a, in a clinical way who want to come and learn about that. So, yeah. I just have one other question in regards to linking the yoga and osteo- osteopathy together. Do you ever have it with, say, like you've got a patient that won't kind of or struggles to relax um they're kind yeah. of you know quite stiff do you do you ever do things like te- talking them through like breathing practices or things like that like pranayam whilst they're they're on the plinth and you're trying to get them to relax yes i do i i i do and i and you know there are so many breath practices mm. out in yoga i kind of re i i don't know how i came to this i think it's probably because I sort of got bored with the sort of seven seven uh, breath practices that I had been using for my teaching, and thought oh, sort of getting a bit tired of these. Let me let me let me sort of look out for a new one. And I remembered, um, I think it's called balancing breath, where you literally shove your hands in your armpits, yes. with your thumbs up round your axillary. Love that. And you just notice the breath. And so sometimes I get people to do that because it's almost as soon as you say to some people, I'm going to give you a breath practice or breath exercise, they kind of get more tense. Mm-hmm. I can't do those. I can't, I can't do that. So I can't do that thing where you, you know, extend your belly. I can't do it. It's a little bit like tapping your head and rubbing your tummy. But if you can say, I just want you to put your hands here and then just do nothing else. Just put your hands there. Just notice. Just notice. That's what I want you to do. Notice if it's fast, if it's if it's long, if it's whatever. Just notice, and that can be an in. So yeah, I do use that. Nice, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's something that I've thought about because I've just done sports massage, mm. and uh, you know, mm. sometimes you've got people that are just rock solid and can't. You know, yeah. they they're just holding themselves. Are you, you know? thinking yeah. about me? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought I was like, is it something that I can integrate? And I guess like, yeah, why not? Why not integrate? Yeah, it? yeah. I just think you know, watching the breath and noticing it because I think most people know that they're tight. I think they they or certainly once they've had uh, therapeutic appropriate hands laid on, they do. But it's finding a way in. Helping them see mm. and to notice that is a way out of 
of that tension. So just watching and noticing the breath, I think, is a really good start. And that doesn't necessarily have to be them doing anything active. It can be really quite passive, them just noticing, placing a hand on their chest, a hand on their belly, which is kind of the one most people know about. But kind of gets people like, you want me to what? You want me to put my hands in my armpit? That's, that's the one I like. <laughs> amazing. You, in a way, have answered this because I'm really interested in your CPD course because that sounds super interesting. But I wanted to know if if there weren't any barriers, if there weren't any restrictions, if there's something that you wish that you could teach or that was taught in general to osteopathy students that you are really interested in or think is really valuable but not on the curriculum at the moment? Well, that would suppose I know everything that is on the curriculum. I should. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I could be getting into muddy water here. Um, so in answering that, so I have a bee in my bonnet and going back to Chelsea's most excellent reference to Judith Hanson Lasser. I basically the course would be called Get Your Hands Off is what the course would be called. <laughs> or get your get your sticky paws off. <laughs> I'm coming at you. That's what it would be called. I don't think I'd get past um, the course review with that title. But I I think it does get taught is just stop touching. Just step back and just have a damn good look. Now, I'm sure that that is taught. Of course it is. Observation skills, right? Somewhere in there? No? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I just like to do that, like, a lot. <laughs> um, uh, to really get people to value not touching and to look, to really look, but not just look as in tick the box, because I know I'm supposed to be looking at pelvic girdle levels mm. and muscle, and I'm supposed, but to look with this, mapping onto the history to really, really look almost to the point where it gets a bit eye-glazingly boring Mm. Mm. and to see what you see and see what you notice and see what maps onto what what you've been told and then to see if there's anything that you haven't been told that you are really curious about, which isn't particularly interesting. I mean, it rocks my boat, but then I'm a bit odd like that. What would I like to teach? I think I would like to teach cultural diversity I would and cultural mm. competence I would like to get my hands on that I would like to sort of extend uh, some of the stuff we were doing in com skills because I know that some people are going to work in areas that perhaps aren't diverse and some people are going to work going to work in areas that are hell of good you know really diverse mm. and I think I would like to encourage people to ask questions to be curious to ask if they don't understand to encourage and to teach people not everybody is going to tell their tale in a nice own up 
way mm. and to be culturally competent and to be aware of difference of all sorts of difference to shift away from ableism to mm. move away from this idea that to be a certain way to be a certain race or a certain body type or and I'm talking about yoga as well mm. is the norm is the standard norm and anything outside that outside that is odd or different to really ram that home yeah oh that would be great do you want to do a workshop for us <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I could have you know it's not quite coherent all of what I've said um but I'd like to and I and I do bring it into some of the aspects of teaching that I do some of the CPD but I, 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 that's just a very delicious pie I'd like to cook. Mm. Mm. It does sound like a delicious yeah. pie. I think um, I would really love to know how you would like advise somebody on their own if they were, doesn't matter whether they're an osteopathy student or not, um, how they can get stuck in and if they wanted to not just... I think obviously talking to people is the best option and being curious and having conversations, but how people can become better informed and start developing on their own. Cause that's really where people should start is not just in the classroom, yeah. but in their own time as well. I, th- I think people have to read, I mean, and, and read a really wide, I mean, read fiction, read nonfiction. Mm-hmm read autobiographies, read osteopathic research, read literature, read textbooks. I mean, like, read textbook, like, get a textbook yeah. that you fancy the look of and try and go through it, like, all of it, not just dip in, which is a study in how dedicated one is because some of it <laughs> will be boring. Um, uh to read things that make you feel uncomfortable, to read things that make you cross, to read things that make you cross and come right round the other side and think, oh, I get it. Like, okay. Um, there are things that I learned at the BSO now entitled MUTO, which I didn't understand for maybe five or six years after I left. And then the penny would drop and sometimes it was seeing a particular patient or sometimes it was talking to, to a colleague or sometimes it was kind of being in the supermarket or reading a book or whatever that I thought, oh my God, I get it. Oh, oh God, that's what they were saying. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, so I think to be curious and to consume podcasts <laughs> and blogs and because those things didn't exist when I was a student, and to question things, not to take things at face value necessarily. Mm. Yeah, to just to read and read a lot, you know, and listen. I should mustn't exclude listening because listening is is, is valuable too. To to talk to people you don't agree with, which is sometimes difficult to make the effort to cross the room to go and sit with the pe- you know with the people who you think oh you're not a natural bed fellow I couldn't yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna no I'm just rambling now but 
to just read and consume opinions and just be curious, to be curious about why someone said that and to challenge inequality when you see it. Yes, absolutely. Always. Thank you. That was a, that was like when I was writing it down, I was like, is this too big of a question or <laughs> or what? It is too big of a question, but thank you so much. It was big and it was rambling. But there you go. <laughs> great answer it's one thing that I always remember from um from one of our lectures it just you know you just have these little snippets of things that always stick in your brain it's one thing you said which is like you can only be what you can see and I was just like yeah how have I never heard kind of that saying it just made me keep thinking about you know all this stuff and what can you know what can we do to help um yeah, yeah things in front of a wider audience and like yeah. making it more accessible yeah. and, and yeah. things like that yeah, yeah. I have slightly revised that oh <laughs> so uh, <laughs> well my revision of it is I'm not sure I think that's too absolutist and I think I'm possibly wrong in saying you cannot be what you cannot see you can but it's effing hard that yeah. is how I've revised it that's fair. So it's harder to break down the door. It's harder to get in if you think you're the first, if you think you're doing something, because you, you sort of carry, you carry that. I don't know that, that. I don't know what I would say you're carrying. But I, I think it is possible. And if I'm honest, there are bits of my life where I haven't seen what I've gone on to be. But mm. I've flipping done it anyway, because... Yeah well, the older you get and once your menopause kicks in, you don't give a hoot anyway. <laughs> so I think that's very empowering women, women with wounds. Um, all sorts of women are empowering, but if, 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 if you're going to go through the menopause, they're empowering. Um, and I think that it, it, it really makes things easier if, if, if you can see something that you're trying to aspire to and achieve and work towards and work feel like you're entering a community of practice or a community of, of people or a community of whatever. Um, so I've slightly revised it. <laughs> nice. I like that. Nice revision. I'll add that into the memory bank. And make sure <laughs> but I generally stand with, I do generally stand. I, I didn't coin it. I, I heard it, but it, 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 it it, it, it is true I think for a lot of people mm. yeah absolutely because I know like from for me I only heard about osteopathy when I was 30 like I hadn't ever heard about it but then later when I told my mum about it, she was like yeah I, I've been to an osteopath when I was younger I was like how have you never told me about this <laughs> yeah you know? yeah I'd never heard of osteopathy I'd never heard of osteopathy I'd never seen an osteopath I'd never met an osteopath I had no idea what it was uh, probably until a few months before I applied and got on the course. I certainly didn't know anyone in my immediate circle or community who was an osteopath. And in fact, when I started at UCO, I was one of initially two black students that, that went up to three. And so, yeah, I kind of, I just jumped in the water. Yeah, amazing. Nice. There's um we were talking about this before, weren't? Because there's like in terms of like the kind of teaching stuff, there's um there's kind of more men named Chris than there are um, <laughs> um, 
than there are kind of any sort of do we have any male teachers of color at at UCO? We do not have any black male clinic educators, no. No. We had until Walter McCone, I think, was on an island on his own as black male tutor, or a, I would say, I'm not sure how he would identify as a, a, a male tutor or a male educator of colour. Yeah. So we're still working towards that one. We have done, you know, I've been um, working with Black uh, uh, History Month this month, and we have, mm. I have identified, I think, and I stand to be corrected, the first male uh, osteopath graduate from BSO um, in 1964, who was Olu Wale I think one of the first, and I again stand to be corrected, male practice educator we had was Mr. Fellow, who graduated in 1971. And in fact, there's a picture of him up now. And there's a picture of him with Jill Burton, who worked in the children's clinic, now called the paediatric clinic. Mm. So we have had in the past, um, and I think we've had female, I think we had, gosh, Gloria John Best or Best John, who was from the 80s. And then I think, you know, we're kind of getting into the 90s. And then we're getting into the noughties. Um, so, you know, there have been people who've walked before me, person of colour, but not not that many. And I don't think, as I say, we currently don't have any male practice educators or black male practice educators. Mm-hmm. I never thought of the more people called Chris thing. <laughs> so many Chris's. Chris. Yeah, there are a lot of Chris's and good they are too, but I, I yeah. can't talk to it like that. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> yeah. um, as we mentioned at the beginning, we're talking about that we're going into clinic this summer. Um, so yeah. We'll have our clinic block, which I uh-huh. think. I think my main thing is that all of my knowledge seems so fragmented at the moment. Like it's all like here, 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 here. And yeah. it's kind of how do I bring that all together and apply that to a patient, I think is the thing that's kind of getting in my head at the, the most at the moment. Um, so have you got any kind of top tips for for us to to help us get ready to go in this summer? Go in curious. And I think it is absolutely right that it should feel fragmented because in a way it is, and it is still a little bit abstract, it will come together because you have no choice. (laughs) (laughs) You you are approaching um, initially from an observatory point of view so your mind can get as busy as it likes and be slightly incoherent and be quite um, all over the place. Mm. Because when you're observing, you can have those little talks to yourself about, oh, what does that mean? I don't understand that. And why are they doing that? That's really odd. And, oh, yeah, I remember that from anatomy. And, oh, God, 
what is the cause of that nerve? And oh my God, is that vascular? What does mm. vascular even mean? You know, you can have all those conversations in your head, but you're not the lead student. So yeah. they can bubble away, bubble away, bubble away. And you can ask lots of questions. Top tip. If you don't know, say you don't know. Don't mm. make yeah. up. If you mm. don't know, say you don't know. Otherwise, you're going to be <laughs> acquiring a very big shovel and digging yourself a very big hole. Um, if you disagree, there will be a time and a place where you can sort of say, oh, I could understand differently. And if you can't voice that, take it away and reflect on it mm. and reflect on it, think about it, do that reading thing I talked about, talked about and mm. come back actually and maybe take that person aside and said I, I, I had quite understood it this way. so I think uh, professional respect is important but I don't think you have to swallow the whole thing and if you think yeah. differently that's allowed I think you will find it will come together okay. because you're applying what you know to what you're being told by the patient or what you're seeing in front of you and it will come together but I do think the important thing is to stay open and curious and to allow, allow that chatter in your mind mm -hmm. to chatter away because, and I think we've talked about it, this in communication skills, that chatter is what really helps you to start to draw things together. That chatter about, so let's talk about pain in their knee, but then they told me they had this, road traffic incident two years ago where they fractured their ankle and didn't really rehab that. So I wonder if that ankle injury could be having a bearing on the knee. Would that make sense? Well, yeah, because I know the anatomy of the ankle and the knee, yeah. and I know that there are muscles in common, and I know, yeah, there's that peroneal weird muscle, and there's that, you know, gastroc, and there's that. And it will start to make sense. And then, mm. of course, you think, oh, gosh, so, okay, what could that be? Mm. What questions should I ask? Uh, I could ask more questions about the knee or I could go back to the ankle or I'm going to park that until I get into that room and I can have a look at those limbs and see what's happening there. And it, it, it will start to come together, but it, it really, you need to be curious, you need to be open-minded, you do need to know your base knowledge, mm. you do need to know that. And then it starts to just come together. You know, initially it might be a little bit of an ugly crochet bag or a bit <laughs> of a misshapen, a bit of a misshapen knit, but the knitting gets better. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> I love you this ugly crochet you bag. <laughs> <laughs> you know, lots of holes in it. You know, yeah. But it will start to come together, and your clinic educators will help you read the pattern a bit better, and mm. then you will produce something quite lovely. Cool. I like. I'm loving that analogy. That's amazing. Mm. <laughs> It makes me excited to get my ugly crochet bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what you're getting for Christmas, Chelsea. <laughs> Can't wait.
Um, Yinka, have you got any questions for us at all? Yeah, how is it going? How are you getting on? Of course, I know you're terrified about going into clinic. Mm. Um, mm. What's good? Um, for me, I back. think I've, yeah, being back has been good. Um, this, this year, I think we've been really excited by a lot of the new teachers we've got, like Danny Church. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um and francesco as well um it's yeah. yeah really really excited about that i think it's it's happened to me every, every year so far third weekend just happened third weekend overwhelm mm-hmm. i decided to yeah. name it of um where do i even start with everything that i need yeah. to learn you know mm. but um i think it's for me now i'm so i think we were all talking about it the other weekend is that we're now Mm. that we're in third year is that Mm. this is it now we've got to do it like there's we've got to we've got to help each other get over that line now um to to the end and it's it's so exciting being back and being in class all the time as well and not online is making such a difference um and yeah I'm really excited I'm just like I'm so I just want to get there (laughs) I know I've got to like Mm -hmm. pace myself take my time but um Mm. yeah I think all of it I'm I'm really really excited about at the moment how about you V? I think very similar I think what I'm I'm feeling very grateful because I know that the next three years are going to go by very quickly Hmm. and we're going to be in our last stage of fifth year and be like oh no like we weren't we were can't wait for it to be over and now we don't want it to end sort of thing yeah um so I'm just feeling very grateful that we can actually be in class and in university Mm. and we have access to all of these really amazing people whether they are teachers or the student support or our classmates and it definitely does feel like it's got to that stage where people are like oh no like you're like my class colleague you're my friend like we're gonna be knowing each other for the next several however many years um yeah and like we're there to help each other and to bounce off ideas and that's what mm. I'm, I'm really liking at the moment yeah so your community of practice is really starting to come together mm. yeah I can see that I mean I just take my hat if I had one I haven't got one on today off to you part-time students I just cannot imagine how you do it I just really I mean to all students out there but to do this course to do that course part-time is a hell of a thing so yeah all credit to you really thank you cool thank you you. yeah I think um like you said I've noticed that like everyone's bonds getting a lot stronger this year it's really nice just seeing how all of our class are really starting to interact with each other and um, how those relationships are really starting to build now. And I think maybe a little bit stunted because we didn't see each other in person for such a long time with COVID and everything like that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's it's really nice. And it's such a really lovely supportive environment, especially we've got loads of little like study groups and stuff going on and, and things mm. like that. So yeah, I'm really loving the community yeah. feel. Mm. Yeah, that's another top tip that you said it for me. Uh, you know study groups but mm. yeah I, I mean I love that it, it, it and it is important and it will really help because mm. uh, it, it, it's a hell of a thing hell of a course well Yinka thank you so much um, for joining us today that's been been amazing and sorry for taking up so much time talking about yoga 
but um, I, I knew I was going to end up doing it. Well, I don't have a problem with that. No, neither do I. <laughs> I think it'll be really to interesting. I apologise to any audience. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me to ramble. Thank you so much. That was bloody great, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. I feel like you just went very bath in your accent. Did I? What's a bath accent? That was bloody great, wasn't it? Yeah, slightly <laughs> worse country, but very posh. <laughs> bath, right? Posh. Did it? Yes. Anyways, that was lovely. That was amazing, wasn't it? Wasn't it just? Feeling energised. I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm also feeling like a bit more like confident about like clinic and things like that. And, you know, I don't know. I just feel generally good. Mm. Good. Mm, How about you? Good. Yes, I'm feeling really good. And I'm hoping that anybody who has any questions about anything that mm. we've spoken about today with Yinka if you want to ask us any of those questions or if you'd like us to ask Yinka a question we can get in contact with her so you can send us an email at double or you can follow along or both could do both you can follow along on our social medias which is at double and we will have all of those links in the bio and all of that sort of stuff so it means that you can follow along on our journey to becoming osteopaths yes send us the messages send us the things we love talking to you wonderful humans we hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we did mm-hmm. yeah we shall see you next time thank you bye Bye. Opera singer. Oh.